welcome to the ASCD Connect podcast, supporting you on your journey as a life-changing educator. Here's your host for today's program. Hi, everyone. I'm Anthony Rabora, the Chief Content Officer for ASCD ISTE. Schools have increasingly recognized the importance of social-emotional skills in student learning. But could better support for educators' social-emotional growth lead to more thriving and more sustainable professional learning cultures in schools? To explore this intriguing question, I'm joined today by Allison Rodman, who is the founder and chief learning officer of The Learning Loop and a widely known expert on educator professional learning. She's the author of a new book, her second from ASED, entitled Still Learning, Strengthening Professional and Organizational Capacity. So welcome, Allie. It's great to have you on our program again. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's wonderful to be back. Congratulations on the book. That's really great. Can't wait. Super excited. So you say what prompted you to write the book was a need you saw to strengthen educators' social-emotional capacity alongside content mastery and skill development. So what sparked that realization for you? So when my first book with ASCD came out in May of 2019, leaders emerged from a variety of different spaces and said, either this is exactly what we need, it's right on time, we're ready to go. Or they said, hey, we're ready to dive deeper. Can you work with our building leaders and our teacher leaders and facilitators to take them even more, I guess, specifically into the art of facilitation? And then I had a good amount of leaders that came out very transparently and honestly and said, we're just not there in terms of learning culture. We need to build the capacity of individuals as well as our organization to get to a place where we can design and plan professional learning that's really powerful. Can you help us with some of our team dynamics? And that was really where the birth sort of of this book began in the fall of 2019. And then as I'm sure you, we all know, right, we had COVID in, in winter of 2020 and so much changed in terms of the role of educators and educators needs. So this work very much has evolved parallel to a lot of that within our world and continued to sort of shift and meet the needs of educators as we saw those roles of teacher and leader and staff member continue to evolve. I see. That's interesting. As you write in the book, schools and educators in general have increasingly acknowledged the role of social emotional skills in learning. Why do you think they've tended not to focus on this in educator professional learning and growth? We're a student focused profession, right? We're not in business. We're not in the world of making widgets. We develop people. And I think if you asked most educators what gets them out of bed in the morning, it's our students. That's always our first priority. But in that mix of things, we have also in some ways neglected the sustainability of the profession and our teachers and leaders' needs around wellness, as well as the time and the space that they need to be truly reflective practitioners that continue to improve their practice over time. What has been interesting in this work, when you look to some of the CASEL research, even right before COVID, they met with a number of district leaders who had been engaged in social emotional learning for over a decade. So this wasn't something that came out as a result of COVID, or they weren't just implementing a program. And they said, what do you wish you knew in the beginning that you know now in this work over a decade later? And almost every single administrator came back and said, we wish we started with the adults first. 
We look to educators in our systems to be models of learning, both academic learning as well as, in many cases, social-emotional learning for our students. But unless we're tending to that for the adults in our system, we're not serving them well. And that was a big part of what inspired and has continued to accelerate and, and perpetuate a lot of this work. I see. That's fascinating. Very telling. Uh, so you focus on five SEL disciplines, as you call them, or areas for adult learning. They're alignment, perspective, collective efficacy, and organizational learning. How did you identify these as being the key areas you wanted to look at? One of the big components of this is that within the capacity building space, there is an element that is certainly individualized, right, for the individual professional and the way in which he or she knows themselves and the way that they learn and what motivates them, how they set goals and whether their tasks every day are aligned to their goals or they're just kind of all over the place and and feel quite scattered. But then within that role of educator, we also have team dynamics that are incredibly important in our work together. The way that we work with grade level teams and content-based teams and mentors, as well as across our schools and our districts in an organizationally organized way. So it was really important to me when looking at the ways in which adults learn in comparison to how students learn, that we were looking not only at how adults' identities continue to evolve over time and how that affects the individual and how they might learn, but that we were also looking at the role of team and school or district or organization within the scope of the dynamics and culture of a place and how that can be incredibly empowering, but also how it can sometimes stifle the learning process for adults as well. So yeah, collective efficacy is actually the one that was really interesting to me because we don't usually associate that with social emotional learning, or at least it's not the first thing that comes to mind. So can you kind of dive into the connection there? Certainly. So One of the things that's incredibly powerful as an individual is that idea of self-efficacy, right? And as kids, that plays out as gold stars on a chart or the example I often give in workshops that resonates with folks is like the Pizza Hut Book It program from years ago, right? You read a certain number of books, you get a personal pan pizza, you feel this sense of progress. And for whatever reason, some of those core values and principles of self-efficacy, while they still very much motivate us as adults, they don't continue in our adult lives, either personally or professionally, the way that they potentially could or should. And that's a major part of our goal setting processes. But one of the things that also builds upon that is not only the efficacy of the individual, but the efficacy of a team and how powerful and motivating it can be for a team to continuously set goals together, to be able to see their progress over time, and to have an opportunity to celebrate that. That For the human psyche and sustainability in the profession and the ways in which we continue to show up for our students, but also for one another, that idea of collective efficacy and forward progress, not only as individuals, but teams, can't be overlooked. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so you do acknowledge in the book that undertaking this kind of work in a school is time-consuming and a big commitment. Your book includes uh, lots of exercises and integration guides and capacity building plans that are really great. But what do you say to school leaders or educators who say, look, we just don't have the time for this. We have so many other important training priorities right now that this is just not uh, something we can do. 
So my response would be, do you have time for your people? And do you want to pour into the people that exist within your present school community? Or do you want to go through this constant cycle of hiring and retraining and rebuilding? Because as we look at the numbers right now within the profession, as well as preparing for the profession, they continue to dwindle. So something has to give. Either we need to dedicate time to pare down on some of the other components that perhaps are no longer serving us well in, in the ways that they have in the past, um, as well as consider some of these other components that educators need in order to feel fulfilled in the profession, to feel not just a sense of wellness, but a sense of belonging and a desire to continue to push forward. Because we know that teaching and learning and leading is exhausting work. There's a lot of energy that that gets poured into that. So if we're not thinking about that on on the people side of things, um, we we need to seriously be be carving out some some time there. Otherwise our time is going to be spent just recruiting new people to fill those seats. That's a really powerful message. Uh, so relatedly, what what is the case for tying educator social emotional learning to better student learning? That would be the ultimate goal, right? Absolutely. So it's interesting to me that we look to teachers to be models of learning on a whole host of things for our students, right? We look to them to model metacognitive processes. We look to them to model certain problem-solving approaches. We look to them to model inquiry for, for students in the classroom. And we know through research over time that attention to some of these social-emotional components, such as self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, are really powerful for students and have an impact not only on their ability to relate to other individuals, but also their academic success over time. So if we are going to turn to educators to model some of these skills in the same way that they model academic and discipline-driven skills for our students, we need to make sure that in the same way we equip them with pedagogical strategies and approaches, we're also giving them the supports they need to not only be equipped in these areas themselves, but also to be able to model them for students. So the title of your book, Still Learning, is actually a play on words, which I have to admit I didn't get until I was a good way into it. Can you explain what you're getting at there? Absolutely. So I intentionally nested it in the conclusion, right? I could have kind of come right out with it in in the introduction. Um, but this was something that I worked with a group of thought partners as well as editors on for, for a number of reasons. And as I was working in this space, one of the things that, that kept coming up is, is much what you described, Anthony, right? That the space is crowded. It's busy. There's so much going on that, that we're expecting from educators. And while we certainly have an expectation when it comes to professional responsibilities and constant learning, that there is within the the role, a certain inherent amount of busyness that you continue to grow and learn and evolve and adopt new strategies. We also at times overlook the power of stillness and pause. That if we can give ourselves that space to be able to step back from lessons, to be able to step back from decisions as leaders, 
to not feel guilty about scheduling time for reflection when that's a skill we ask of our students, that we can sometimes arrive at even more effective and more powerful decisions on both the instructional and the leadership levels. So it was really important to me in thinking about this work collectively that it conveyed not only the importance of the role of educators to be continuous learners for their students, but to also be still learners who are able to sit in the moment to appreciate the value of pause and reflective practice and model that in the same way that they model many of the other skills for our students. Yeah, I like that. Allie, thanks so much for taking the time to share your ideas with us today. It's really timely information and it's a fascinating book for where we are in education today. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. To learn more about Allison Rodman's book, Still Learning, go to www.ascd.org books.